Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth, Lord. We thank you that truth sets free. Lord, I thank you that you desire relationship, not a religion. You desire relationship. Father, we love you. We love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that no man, no man can take your glory. You are above all. You are truly our God. I pray today that revelation would come from your word and pierce the hearts of your people. I pray that people would become free. I pray that people would see you in a different light, that you are a good father in Jesus' name. It's amazing to me when I see how many Bibles I have in my office and how many Bibles we have here in the Western world. And when I try to buy a new one every year, actually, just so I don't get comfortable. But it's just amazing to me. When I was in Africa, we met people that had literally like the book of Ephesians. And that was it. And just the, the preciousness. Yeah, it's a pretty important book. Yeah. The preciousness of this word, I, I think sometimes we, we take it for granted. It's extremely valuable, extremely precious. You know, we, we, I know of a friend of ours, he was up in Sudan, and I think it was northern Kenya, Sudan, and he ran into people that were still, the Tokanana tribal people that were still animistic, piercing uh, the, the side of a white bull and drinking the blood for the atonement of sins. Yet they were believers because they had one or two books of the Bible, you know, like rolled up in the guy's pocket, and they took him to the book of Hebrews and showed him the truth that the blood and bulls of goats no longer atone for sin. As yet we, we don't realize what we have. You know, and they were totally gloriously set free, like in a sense, into the new covenant, but yet they believed in Jesus. Why? Because of the Word of God. Amazing truths. Amen. So this morning, in less time than normal, somehow, I wanted to continue from last week. If you were not here last week, you can turn to the book of Luke chapter 15. I started speaking just about the story of the prodigal son. That's what we chose to call it. It's actually not, it's not called that in the Bible, which we'll get into. It's a story of a father that has two sons. And we've always, in a sense, looked at it one way. And I cannot take the time to kind of go over and recap last week, but it really is a building block for this week. But there's a book written by two university professors. I, th I forget the university now, I think it's Bala University. But they wrote the book a few years ago, and I read a little while ago, about four different views that most of the Christians or most people have of God in the United States. And he goes through them, domineering, uh, distant, critical, and I think uh, cannot, uh, authoritative. And I cannot forget the other, oh, benevolent. You know, just, he just gives and gives. And the concern I had when I read it was that none of those views look like Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you want to know what the Father is like, look at me. He wasn't meaning physically. He wasn't saying, look what I look like. He's saying, if you want to know what he's like, his nature, his character, look at me and you'll understand him. And the reason that it's, they say 91% of people in America now believe in some form of God, but none of them, none of them of that 91% believe in a God that looks like Christ. And so we went over a little bit of, of that last week. And I, I believe there's an orphanhood in, in the nation, but in many first world countries, there's an orphanhood. There's an orphan's perspective. You know, Jesus made these stunning statements. No one will ever snatch you out of my father's hand. I will not leave you as an orphan. And an orphan is a person that may even have a house, but they don't have a home. They don't have a father. They don't have a loving embrace. They don't have uh, these things. And that's what we've called the title of the, the, the series is The Father's Embrace. 
But there's also this servant mentality, in a sense, in the nation as well. It's this orphanhood and the servant. And, and I'm going to go quick through this recap. But the first orphan, I believe, was Lucifer. He had an orphan heart, in a sense. And he comes to the son, being Adam, first son. And he says, did God really say? And it's like the son's heart was poisoned by an orphan. It's very important. And what did it cause? Rebellion. Because he caused him to doubt his father's, the father's, the father's intention for him. He actually caused him to think that God was trying to trick him. He said, because, you know, if you do that, you'll be like him. He already was like him. <laughs> he already was. He was made in his image and in his likeness. But there's this orphanhood. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, and I encourage you to go listen to last week, not because I preached it, because it's truth that this culture, this place needs. This, this place needs the truth of what it is to have a father really what it is to have a father. But in John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled, for in my father's house are many mansions. And the ability for a Christian, the ability for a person to not have a troubled heart, Jesus linked to an understanding of what the father has for you. Please hear that. The ability, I see many people with sick hearts, troubled hearts. The ability to allow that trouble in a sense, like what Patsy said, to have contentment, that ability is linked to your understanding of what the Father is like. And that was Jesus's, in a sense, prescription for the situation. Let's go to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I'm going to read what we read last week, and then we'll just take it further. So let's just jump right in. It says, a certain man had two sons. So we call it the story of the prodigal son. Your Bible might even label it the prodigal son. That's not what Jesus called it. He called it a father with two sons. Now, let me start by saying this story... I think only told in the book of Luke. You have to start to look at why did Jesus tell the story? There was a Jewish crowd, and we went over last week just about the importance of the understanding of what they knew he was talking about as Hebrew people. But he wasn't just trying to emphasize one son. I believe with all my heart that he was actually trying to show the response of a father for two different issues, two different situations. What is the father's response to these two different situations? Because most people are one of them. Most people, some people are both. I've been both. I went from rebellion to religion. So let's look at this. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Almost want to reteach, but culturally he was actually wishing his father dead but you can go listen to last week. He, so he divided them his livelihood, and not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, and there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine as a Jew. And he would gladly have filled the stomach with the pods of the that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We see an absolute misunderstanding of what made him worthy to be a son. It was not his behavior, it was his birth. Same is true of you. It's not your behavior, it's your birth into the family. You were born again, that makes you a son. He wasn't worthy when he was born, he was just born. It's a misunderstanding of where you draw your value from. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. What a tragic statement. 
Imagine saying that to God the Father. I actually would rather be a servant than a son. We're going to cover that today. And he arose and came to his father, but he was still a great, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and a sandal on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and he began to be merry. The word fell on his neck. The word fell there is the same word used when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2. It's the kiss of heaven. It's the pouring out of the Spirit. It's the kiss of heaven. We know last week the honor there was a festive robe of honor. I believe it represents a robe of righteousness, which we'll get into in a moment. He put a ring on his finger. He was actually giving him the ability to transact business in the market because he had nothing. He was giving him the ability to spend on the father's account. And then he put sandals on his feet. Slaves were barefoot in that culture. Sons were sandals. It was complete restoration. We went over this last week. Many people with an orphan spirit, they need to understand the heart of a father for them. Then what happens is we get wonderfully saved and we feel, we feel, you, know, you guys remember, you feel that beautiful sense of I'm clean. And it's just this incredible, you feel the ring on your finger, you feel the love of the Father, you feel this, I'm righteous, you feel like a son, you feel like you belong, and then you move, in a sense, you join a church, and well-meaning people, they don't always, it's not always people's fault, sometimes just culture, take you in a sense from this platform of the love of the Father, and put you, because sometimes it's, it's important to understand that obedience is important for the believer, absolutely vital, it's important for the believer, but there's a heart sometimes that can be missing. And so they take them from like this rebellion and they move them onto religion. When I say religion, I'm not talking about a religion, especially for our visitors. I'm talking about form without life. I'm talking about method but no relationship. An institution without a family. Religious mindsets, religious spirits, religious activity. And it's actually harder to diagnose. Why? Because you, you feel right. It's easy to help a person who's lost because even the culture says you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be on drugs. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Even the culture says you're wrong. It's difficult for a person who's trapped in religion, which we're going to get into today, because they actually think they're right. So let's, let's look at this. What was the response? Where are we? Verse 25. We will see what was the response of the son. Now we see a similar pattern, just before we get in there, a similar pattern in the garden. Lucifer came to Adam, first son. What was the response? Rebellion. The second Adam, or the last Adam, or the second son is Jesus. Now we know he's not the second son, he was before all things. But you understand what I'm saying, he came after Adam. He comes, that same orphan, comes back to that son and tries to poison his heart. What does he say? If you really are God's son, do this, do this, turn the stones into bread. What's he saying? If you're God's son, perform. If you're God's son, perform. Earn, perform. He's trying to make his son a slave. Then he even tests. He tries to make him prove, does God really love you? He says, if you're God's son, jump off the building. I mean, jump off the high pinnacle and let's see if God will rescue you. 
Now, what did Jesus just heard? With a loud voice. You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He passed the test. Devil, go away. Very simple. Go away. Many people hear these things in their own hearts, and it causes a performance mentality, a slave mentality, to start to rise up within them. So we're going to look at that today. So, let's go look at the second son's response. Verse 25. Friends, I've been both. I went from extreme rebellion to extreme religion, feeling justified in it. And God had to work through my heart. Why did I always have this desire to prove myself? Why did I want to earn everything? Why did I feel like I had to prove myself to everybody? God had to deal with these insecurities and introduce me back to the relationship with God and a father. So, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother, the servant said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, being the father, your father has killed the fatted calf. So we see the second son's response to this display of incredible grace and love. Everything we see in the son's response, please hear my heart, is a response to what? An incredible display of grace and love. Because that's what's just happened between a father and a child. He says this, But he was angry, and he would not go in. Religion is angered by grace towards fallen siblings. I've seen it many times. When people fall, it's like we want to punish them, we want to show them their fault. Religion gets angered when grace is extended to falling siblings. Love, family, celebrates restoration every time. In a religious system, I wrote this this morning, you have to have agreement before you can be together. There has to be doctrinal agreement before we can get along. In a family, it's different. Every parent knows that. Children don't always get along. Hello? Yeah. I have two boys. He wants to wrestle. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And then he punches him. They don't, they don't always get along. Friends, in a family, in a religious system, you have to have doctrinal agreement before you can get along. I'm not saying we need to embrace incorrect beliefs. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. All I am saying is that God never wanted a system. He wanted a family. Very, very important to understand. We love people through to restoration. That is our heart. We bring them near so that Paul says, even if they are in error, you can show them their fault between you and him. That requires relationship. Love celebrates relationship. Religion struggles when grace is extended when we think they do not deserve it. Religion can flourish in a system but relationship is built in a family. The church is called the house of God. It's not an institution. The fact that he actually wouldn't go in shows what to me. Think about this. He would not go in. It shows that his life and his decisions and he is being dictated to by the events of others. Meaning what? He's not free. He's actually not free. He's not free. He's trapped by everybody else's behavior. And so when that happens, what happens? He actually gets isolated from joy and festivities. 
I see it in the body of Christ all the time. People get isolated from the joy and festivities of a family because they've misunderstood the restoration of a father to a person. Some of us are exceptionally justice-centered. I am that person. I'm extremely justice-centered. I was the very difficult child in high school because of this. Justice. We, we want justice. And God puts that in you. This desire for justice. He actually, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He put that in you. And when we're justice-centered, sometimes we would read something like this and be like, because it's something God is still working in us, and we think, well, it's unfair. It's unfair. There must be justice. There must be justice. It's just unfair. For those of you who are worried like that, which is me, go and learn, go and find out, go and study, go and pray, and go and read about the treatment of Jesus on the cross. He was unjustly treated so that you could be justified. That was also unfair. And you start to see grace. Why? Because the justice of heaven is different to the justice of earth. The justice of heaven will not betray its own integrity. God's justice will stand. But it will find a way to bring restoration without betraying its integrity. That's the love of a father. That's why he sent his son. This son didn't understand that. He just missed it completely. Then the father comes out to him. For me, that's an amazing statement. It says, the father came out to him. How many times do you think the father has come out to you? He comes out to you. He comes out to you. He reaches out to you. He sends people your way. He brings people across your path. He brings you to a place. He put conviction in your heart. He blesses you so you can change. He, he, real, he makes grace revealed to you, not so you can feel better, to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. He is committed to you. He loves you. The Father comes out to you, and yet He's God. It's stunning to me. His love, so great, so divine. Verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you've never given me a goat that I may make merry with my friends. These many years I have served you, very important. I've been serving you. I've never tr transgressed your commandment at any time. Friends, this is self-righteous, self-righteousness for the purpose of reward. He said, I've done this and you haven't given me that. What's actually happening in you? And we're going to go into this one a little bit deeper. This is a son, please hear me, this is a son operating as a slave in the father's house. Why do I say that? John 15, 15, a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. What's the implication that a friend does? A friend does. Servants are task-oriented. The entire focus is on completing the list of commands. That's the entire focus, to complete the list of commands. That's a servant mindset. Obedience, as I said, is always important for the believer, but a friend has a different motivation. A friend has a different motivation. A servant, I'm just going to read you a few statements here, obtains favor by what he does. A servant obtains favor by what he does for the Lord. A friend through the relationship. Through the relationship. A servant 
does not have access to the inner motivations of the master's heart. He just gets told what to do. He does not have access into the motivations of the heart. A friend does. The servant's main goal is to do whatever the master says. The friend's main goal is the heart. It's not meeting a quota. Mike Pickle says this, there's two types of people in the body of Christ. There's lovers and there's workers. He says and that the lovers will always get more work done than will the workers. It's true. There's lovers and there's workers. But lovers will always get more work done than the workers. Why? Because the lovers are after the heart. And when you understand the heart, friends, when you fall in love, you will go to the ends of the earth to do something for love. Ends of the earth. It is the most empowering thing that there is. When you love the Lord for Him, when you love the Lord for Him, you will have an empowering ability to do everything you always try to do for Him in religion. Paul, the apostle, went from a religious system to love. Do you ever think the Bible says what he went through? Five times. Five times he got the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Do you ever consider what his back looked like? 195 times he was whipped, meaning probably the hair on the back of his head was gone because they would go up. Even his, I'm not trying to be crude, but his bum, his legs, just one scar tissue, 195 times. What happened in today's theology where we get offended at God when he doesn't do what we think he should do and when he should? It's like he's on trial with us. How did that happen? What about Acts chapter 5? They counted it all joy to be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name because they were whooped and beaten. In today's world, you'd say, well, why did God do that and how can he? Why? Because we've put ourselves at the center. I know there's favor. I know there's favor of God on people. There's anointing. There's all these things. What was the empowering factor behind Paul was his love relationship with Jesus Christ. His love relationship with Jesus Christ. Because love will do things that a servant will not do. Because a servant does not know what his master is doing. He has no access to the affections of the heart. A son can represent a father because he knows the father's heart. Later on you see the son, the father says to the son, son you have always been with me. So for all this time, this son, the other son's being bad. Okay, we all recognize that. We've all, every one of you were once lost and have been found. You've all been the first son. But many people are the second son. We go from that one to that one. We go from lost to religion, from rebellion to religion. And friends, it's extremely toxic. Because what happens here is a son saying, you know, the father said, you've always been with me. See, even though the son has always been with this father, he still does not know the father's heart. How do we know that? Because of his reaction to how the father treated the other brother. His extreme reaction to this beautiful display of grace and of mercy and of love. And because of his reaction, it tells me something. This son doesn't know what he's... This son is like a servant. Doesn't know what his master is about. Doesn't know, actually know, the father's heart. Let me say this. Some of you long for ministry, especially some of you young people. God desires to use you for ministry. He desires. If you go to God to, to be used for ministry, you know what? He will use you for ministry. 
because that's anointing, because it's his desire. But there's a lid on what you can do. There's a lid on power. There's a lid on the miraculous. Because it's the heart that comes from the heart. It's a stunning thing to me, friends, that God has friends in the Bible. David was his friend. How close do you have to be with the Father for him to call Jesus the son of David? How close do you have to be with a man? He was a man in a worse covenant. How much intimacy to give your, the, your fathership, in a sense, to call him the son of David forever? To invite Abraham into your council. Should I, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham changed God's mind because he was a friend. What about Moses? He says to Moses, uh, the people, your people, that you brought out of Egypt, I'm going to kill them. Literally, that's what God said. What does Moses say? He says, well, well, they're your people, and, and you brought them out of Egypt. And, and I'm not trying to obviously limit God's, but in so many words, God's like, yeah, you're right. Moses and Abraham, David, these friends were expected to come into God's counsel because they were friends. There's dealings of a father with children, and I don't have the time to go in this. Every father has dealings with his children. A spiritual baby or a physical baby, they're the same. It's all about them. They want everything. They want it now. They cannot have delayed. My son doesn't approach me for stuff he wants even next week. I want it now. And if you don't give me what I want now, you and I are going to fight. He said to me last week, Dad, 7 o'clock in the morning, Daddy, I want to be in charge. It was like two weeks ago. So I said, oh, what do you want to be in charge of? He said, you and Mommy and, you know, Matthew. So I said, sure. We were downstairs, Jen and Matthew upstairs. I said, sure. You better get ready. So what do you mean? I said, well, you've got to go to work. So you've got to go to work. I said, when you come home from work, I said, you've got to mow the lawn. And you've got to change the oil on the lawnmower. And you've got to change the oil on the car. And you've got to clean up. And you've got to build. And you've got to put those built-in bookshelves. And I went through this whole list. It just was glorious how the Lord gave me this exhaustive list. <laughs> and he said to me, is that what you have to do because you're in charge? I said, yes, son. I said, you've got to pay the bills. He says, Daddy, you can be in charge. <laughs> Straight up. Friends, it's so important. It's so, so, so important. People's... I've seen so many people, because of their desire for ministry, their entire identity is built on ministry. And I'm talking how much you witness, how much you read, how much you pray, how much you... And God will use you, and that's awesome. But they build their identity, they pull their acceptance about what they do from Him. I lived that life. Even in this nation, I lived that life for a few years, many years actually. And God had to bring me out of that system into a real relationship, real, where you know his heart, where you love him, where you genuinely love him. Because a believer operates from acceptance, not towards it. They start accepted, and that empowers them. What else do we see with religion? Let's carry on reading. It says here, Verse 29, he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you gave me, never gave me a young goat. Verse 30, but as soon as the son of yours came, 
who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Two more quick points. Religion forgets the dream. Religion will always forget the dream. And what do I mean by that? Friends, when you got saved, as I said earlier, you know what it was like to feel clean. You know what it was like when heaven kissed you and maybe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says when he fell on his neck, it's actually using the same terminology as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When God touched your life, when your first time you began to reach out and try to do transactions, ministry, in a sense, on your father's account, when you felt that ring on your finger, when you felt sonship and you had sandals on your feet, when you just get stuck in the system, every week you come to church, every week you pray, every week you do these things, and it goes round and round and round and round, and you get stuck in a religious system, and the dream goes. And because we lose sight of the bigger picture, we get killed in the details, and the joy leaves, the love leaves, the desire leaves. George and I were on the phone this week, and we were just talking about how God is so drawing our hearts, and he was saying to me how he just remembers when he first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how he just wanted to be with God. Sometimes, when you're facing stuff, when you're going through stuff, when that, that just that relationship you know what it helps to do? Is to remember those moments. To remember when he put the robe on your back. Remember when he put the sandals on your feet. Remember when he changed your heart. Remember what righteousness feels like. And you sit and you think of your history with the Lord. Why? Because that introduces you. Because he has more moments lined up for you. Religion forgets the dream. Relationship never does. Because you know the heart. Last one. I'll say it quick, actually, just let me read it. I'd rather have the word speak to you. Verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. Religion always tries to earn what it already has. Don't be trapped in that system. He says, I do all these things you've never given me. He's like, what are you talking about? The goats are yours. The fatted calf is yours. All I have is yours. He's like, but you've never given me. He said, but it's yours. Why are you trying to earn what you have? Why are you becoming a slave in the Father's house? You missed the relationship. Completely missed it. What did the Father want from the beginning? From the beginning, what did he want? He wanted a relationship with his boys. He wanted a relationship with his two sons. The one didn't want it. Left. Was rebellious. So we become lost. We've all been there. Then we get saved and we come back. And then we come back. What happens? We move from rebellion to religion. And we get stuck in a system and we forget the heart. We go from lost to being a slave. I ask you again, what is your view of the Father? Obedience is always important for the believer. Obedience is always important for the believer. Please hear my heart. However, if your view of the Father doesn't look like what you see in the life of Jesus, you have a wrong view. I see it best demonstrated in the story of Zacchaeus 
And I was going to read it, but I'll just quote it faster. Story of Zacchaeus, a few, few pages over, Luke chapter 19. Go home and read it. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. It says the community grumbled and complained that Jesus wanted to go to his house because he was a sinner. He was a tax collector. He would demand far more than what was actually owed, and he enriched himself. When he went to the house, you know, it's important for me to actually make this point. Why did sinners want to be around Jesus so much? Why? I believe because being around Jesus was what it like. It felt like what it was like to have a father. Jesus said, I have come to reveal the father. It's one of the purposes he came for. I have come to reveal the father. Even sinners love to cling to a person who feels like a dad. I met this young girl many, many years ago. I'll end with this. Many years ago, I was leading youth in South Africa. And we had this outing, this retreat, and we went to Six Flags. It's like a Six Flags, it's called something else. So I just lied to you, but you know what I mean. And this girl comes along. Her mother was a stripper, broken girl, beautiful girl. And uh, she comes along, she wasn't wearing much. And we go to this whole day. And in the beginning of the day, she hated me. She swore at me and I just loved her, loved her. By the end of the day, I had to make sure that there was always another couple guys with me because she literally would not let go of me. And it wasn't in a weird way. She was a kid. She was 14. She looked 18, but she was 14. She just wanted to hold on to me. She never had a father. Well, that Friday, she comes to youth. <laughs> never forget. And I, I, the way I tell the story is it's like she was just wearing two belts, one up here and one down there. It, it wasn't a lot. And she comes to the youth. That's all she knows. And it's in this very upstanding, that northern suburbs type, type community. And she walks in the door. She takes, she's taken one of her mother's pink feathery scarves. And she's draped it around herself. And she walks in the door and I'm thinking, whoa boy. This is going to be interesting. And she shouts my name from across the, Clayton. And she starts to run. I've, I prayed so hard. All the way, I'm saying, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do here? If I turn her away now, she's done. She's done for. And she jumped at me. So I picked her up and swung her around and gave her a hug. I was so uncomfortable and kind of put her down, you know. And you know what was sad is every other girl in that place just daggers at her. And she didn't last long. People love to be around Jesus. The community complained when Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house because Zacchaeus robbed him. The second son would have demanded retribution, payback by the law. But a little bit of time spent in the presence of Jesus and the one who was restored, Zacchaeus, literally became a restorer. Zacchaeus said, Jesus, I have restored up to fourfold. Jesus valued the relationship. The value on the relationship had a better outcome than demanding justice. A little bit of time with Jesus and the one who was restored became a restorer. And every blessing that you get from God comes with it the ability for you to become that for somebody else. That's grace. Grace enables you. It changes you. 
So, thank you for your time. I want to just ask you again, before you go home, I wonder if you could stand and we'll just pray. Could we just take a moment? I feel like this message, this kind of message, and young people, I pray you listen to what I'm saying today. This issue will come knocking on your door. It will. It just will, because it came knocking on Jesus' door. <laughs> Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, if you want to live godly in this life, you will suffer persecution. It's actually a New Testament promise. It's not one we often hear preaching on. The only thing that will take you through that is love, is a relationship. I'm just, I feel like in my heart there's some of you that just want to take a moment with the Lord. So I don't want to get in the way of that. That's just what I feel in my heart because it's a response to the word, not a response to me. So I'm just going to give it a moment. I'm going to ask you, some of you don't even know, Lord, how do I, how do I change the way I think? Oh, ask him, ask him to help you. Ask him, Lord, shift my mind. If you partner with it, if you go and read the word, if you partner with it, it will assist you. But ask him because he's a good father. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you brood over your people. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you begin to reveal truth of the heart of the Father. Lord, make us lovers so that we can fulfill what you've called us to do. I pray for every person who struggles and battles with a slave mentality, with a servant mentality, maybe from their parents, maybe from their past, maybe from how they were raised, maybe from an event in their life. Lord, today, let the power of your word go into the heart and begin to dismantle that lie. Let there be a process that rolls from today. Holy Spirit, we entrust our hearts to you. Jesus, we love you. Just tell him you love him. Just in your own words. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us what the Father is like. Thank you for bringing the truth of a Father to the earth. We thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, let us be lovers of God. Lovers of God. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.